It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rush. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Listen to me, I'm older and I'm wise. Yeah, well, you're half right. What is this, amateur? This is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it? I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Ah, yes, it is the best time of the year. And right here, we've got you covered. End of the work week. Time for the holiday weekend. And as we take you home right here on the Sports Rush, your daily sports fix from 4 to 6, alongside... Producer Adam Lundy. I am the coach Shannon Griffith. Awesome first hour. More to come here in the second hour. We'll talk to the judge, Phil Houck, about the Notre Dame fighting Irish. And then we'll talk to Jeremiah Johnson, sideline reporter for the Pacers. And we'll talk a little bit about the Pacers. And unfortunately, they lost the game last night to the Grizzlies, 116 103. Did you happen to catch uh, Purdue Fort Wayne Mastodon legend John Conchar? He got a couple uh, pretty good blocks last yeah, night. Yeah, he did. And we'll hear about that from Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah, yeah we'll have to ask him. Give him a good. <laughs> hey, we know you're a Pacers reporter, but give us a little uh, John Conchar report <laughs> while you're at it. We could call Rumpy for that. Oh, we could. We could call him. Oh, but let's not. He's enjoying his yeah. vacation down. He's in- down yeah, he's sitting on his on his uh, porch watching the <laughs> traffic go by. As And dreaming of retirement. I'm sure that's probably what he's doing right now. But uh, we'll have Jeremiah, or I call him JJ, because he once sat in the quarterback room while I was a coach at Ball State University in his freshman year. And uh, it's great to see the kids that you have had uh, the privilege of coaching, living out their dreams of what they went to school for. And J.J.'s a prime example of that and does a great job for the Pacers. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, Talked about the comments last hour. I just tweeted out a little bit of poll, I guess you could say, for the Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Do us Comet fans think the Ks are going to come away with two big way? Uh, two big wins to finish up a 2-1 series uh, lead over Iowa and take four or six of the points home with them prior to the, you know, Christmas break here. We'll see what out there that some of the Comets fans may have to say about that. Yay or nay on the two victories that they would need to do that. 46862 Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 
Yeah, speaking of Parkview Sports Medicine, we've got the holiday yes. shootout. We've got coverage of two games that are taking place up at Trine this uh, this evening. We've got the Northrop girls taking on Elkhart at uh, Trine. That'll be the first game of the evening with tip right around 8 o'clock p.m. And then after that, stay tuned to the 13 the Fan for boys action. We've got Michigan City taking on the Northside Legends up at Trine. That'll be around 9.30 following the girls game. But, yeah, fantastic doubleheader to well, send you into the weekend. Here's the cool thing. Now uh, we got Mac up there calling it. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. But our friend, Mr. Eric Dukevich, is going to sit in the color chair. Yeah. In his first experience in uh, providing color in, for the boys' basketball game, as well as what he normally does on Friday night is, you know, give the recap at the Pizza Huts. But he'll work with Mac tonight. I'm sure he'll do a great job. And uh, it's like I tell him, you just. You know, you talk, and if you're wrong, nobody's going to know it. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, uh, fun first hour. Going to have a fun second hour here. In a few minutes, we'll have the judge join us. Phil Hawk, talk a little bit about Notre Dame. We talked about who the Hoosiers and the Boilermakers picking up W's last night. Mm-hmm. Zach Edie continuing to do what he does on a game-to-game basis. He dropped 18 last night, and then Malik Renew had a career night for the Hoosiers last night, putting up 25 points in their win uh, over North Alabama, and he was also 4-for-4 from three-point land in a career night. Um, The kid's really grown into his own. He's continued to grow, and hopefully... You know, those around him will pick up as well because they do have a good young football club, uh, football, basketball <laughs> uh, team. And I think uh, the collision course with the Boilers is coming up rather soon here in January. Um, I want to say around the 16th, if my memory serves me correct, but don't quote me on that. That's All right. purely speculation. Colts have a big game Sunday. We just talked about it. They're we two, sure did. Two and a half point dogs to Atlanta. I like those odds. Does that kind of surprise you at all? But yeah, it's actually moved in Atlanta's yeah, favor. I mean, in it the started Colts off favor at one. One, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why it's moved. I don't know if it's, you know. Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, right, or? whether there's some fear of, of that. Um, you know, we know Minshew and what he can and can't do and right. what he does when he gets in trouble. Because uh, he makes some throws that you just shake your head at. You're like, what are you thinking of? It kind of reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about with uh, Derek Carr last night against the yeah, uh, right. against the Rams. Yeah, the, Derek Carr always seems, like I said to you, it, it always seems like he makes the critical mistake at a critical time in a game. Mm-hmm. And it's always seemed to plague him in the NFL. And we certainly saw that last night, second half. Yeah. They're uh, looking to get in the game. They're driving down the field, and Derek Carr throws an interception. And then Stafford, Nakua, and those guys just take it in for a touchdown, and then the lead yeah. was insurmountable. Yeah, the, they wheels, were up the wheels come off. Yeah. You know, the wheels come off. So, yeah, and, and I think that's the thing with uh, Gardner is that if he can play within himself and mm-hmm. not try to do something because, you know, outside of the framework of the offense, which – he can tend, you know, do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a very, very, very dependable backup quarterback in this league. And I think it's he's proven that for the most part. Uh, but I think, you know, these last three weeks for the Colts are going to be very important if they want to get into the playoffs. 
Yeah, if you have any thoughts on the Colts, uh, feel free to also weigh in on our text line at 46862 or add us on Twitter at SportsRush1380, just like one of our loyal listeners, Ryan Eaton, who weighed in uh, last hour when we were kind of going over these NFL games. Ryan weighed in with, the Colts will roll, but they need a fast start. And I have to agree. Well, and I think that's what uh, Lara Overton had had mentioned about the Colts needing that fast start. And, of course, uh, keeping the gas pedal down to the floor. That's exactly what I was going to say. The fast start is important, but just because you have a fast start doesn't mean you can let your foot off the gas in the second half and let them come back and get momentum. It's got to be a thorough thrashing well, <laughs> well not thrashing but you've got to uh, have the mindset yeah and that's what it i mean what they did against uh pittsburgh has got to continue in the mindset of the colts against atlanta exactly and going all the way through the texas uh, the houston game because that game if they can get the next two weeks under their belt probably will have something riding on that ball game and uh I think that's the key component as we head into the final few weeks of the season. You know, college football bowl season is upon us. Bowl game tonight. Um, Of course, we've got a a litany of them tomorrow. And I think on Sunday there's one. And then following the Christmas holiday on the 26th, it picks back up. Leading up to the four-game playoff that we've got coming up here. You know, one thing that is kind of, I don't know, rubbed me wrong, and I know we're get through this really quick here as we're heading up to break, but <laughs> the number of players that are opting out of these games, mm-hmm. like Sam Hartman at Notre Dame, and there's a, there's a multitude of other guys, so don't get me wrong, it's just not Sam Hartman. Um, I just... It, it, you know, I get it on one side of the equation, but at the same time, uh, these bowl games are picking these teams to come in because of the year they had with those players that helped them get there. But the, by the time they get them there to play in the bowl game, they're playing with their second team units. And for some teams, there may not be a big drop off, but let's let's face facts. They're not the first team guys, right? No. And has it, has it come time that we're going to start seeing bowl games pay money to top players to come play in their game in order for them to market it and to and, and to promote it that there's going to be top players playing in the game? Right, but then then do we get into is that pay for play territory which is not allowed under yeah, the NIL? Well, I, I get all that, but I think there's enough loopholes in the wild wild west that we live in right now. We could now figure something out. That something could be figured out in this regard. But here's the thing, I you know if you're not in the top four, you're gonna opt out of a playing in the games. Look at Florida State. Mm-hmm. Here they are complaining about why they were not in the Final Four, and there's good reason why that was made, and I everybody understands it. They're going to play Georgia. They have a then they have the greatest opportunity right in their backyard playing Georgia to go out and play them and say, you know, this is why we should have been in the top four if they went on and handled Georgia. They count a much a multitude of guys that are setting out that game. Yeah, as of right now, Florida State, uh, ten players will yes. be will be out. 
So all that argument, all that complaining, all that whatever, and they're thinking about leaving, leaving the, the, ACC. the ACC like it was the ACC's fault. Where are they going to go? Right. You're, I mean, come on. And They're not going to go in the SEC. They'd have way worse chances of making the playoffs if they were in the SEC. But Especially when we go to the 12-team format. Well, that's my. this is what it's leading up to. Yeah. If you go to this 12-team play f- format, and you're the, let's say you're the 10th, 11th, 12th team in that tourney, there's going to be guys opting out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's the difference? You play, you're playing a game. It's one game. There's a high probability if you're the, you know, 10th, 11th, or 12th seed, you're not going to be around, especially if you're lining up against the top you know, team in the in the tourney. And yeah, and just going back to Florida State, if there's 12 teams that get in and you're the third or fourth or fifth best team in the SEC, do you think you're going to get in? You're right. not. They're going right. to take the two, maybe three best teams out of the SEC for a 12-game Yeah, there's format. always going to be a complaint about who should or who shouldn't, and there's always going to be that team because when they take into account where you're at in that specific time period and who you've got playing for you, injuries are going to be a part of the equation of why they do or do not take you. And it's going to happen regardless if you have a 6-team or a 12-team or a 24-team. But are we going to see these kids opting out? Because if they're the last, you know, fruit on the tree, so to speak, because you're ranked 10th or 11th or 12th, I think you still are going to see it. And that's my point. Are we going to have to start, you know... Because it's the it's it's totally, totally taking away from these bowl games. Absolutely. Now, from a coach's standpoint, you're getting these people all ready to go, and the young group to come up and play. But you saw last night, Syracuse gets blown out by South Florida. So, I mean, I don't know what the final was. I turned it off at 37 and nothing. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Embarrassing. Well, I'm off my soapbox. Let's go to my <laughs> man Adam Lundy for today's sports headlines. Let's do it now that you're off your soapbox. (laughs) Some AFC South news that broke in the last hour. The Texans have now officially ruled out quarterback C.J. Stroud for Sunday's game versus the Cleveland Browns. So that could be big for the Texans. Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. cleared the concussion protocol and is listed as questionable for Sunday with his shoulder injury. Jonathan Taylor is returning from thumb surgery and will play Sunday versus the Falcons. The Colts are ruling out right tackle Braden Smith, linebacker Segu Luby and center Jack Anderson for Sunday. Zach Moss, who's dealing with a forearm injury, is questionable. The Colts today signed cornerback Chris Lamons to the 53-man roster from the practice squad. Lamons, 5'10", 190 pounds, has spent time on the team's active roster and practice squad this season. The NFL fined the Atlanta Falcons, the Colts' opponent this weekend, $75,000 and coach Arthur Smith, $25,000 for its handling of the team's injury report before its Week 7 game against Tampa Bay in October. The league began investigating the Falcons after B. John Robinson was, listed on, was not listed on the injury report, but barely played in the team's win over the Buccaneers and told reporters after the game he had been suffering from an illness and headaches. And AFC News again, Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence was back on the practice field today, but still must clear the NFL's concussion protocol from an independent neurologist to play in Sunday's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those are your top stories today, Shannon. Mr. Lundy, thank you for that. Stay tuned. Don't don't change the channel. We've got the one and only 
Mr. Judge Phil Houck going to come and talk a little bit about Notre Dame football and all the things that are transpiring. And a new offensive coordinator was hired today by Coach Freeman. So stay tuned for that. All right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, a Friday edition heading into the holiday weekend. And for all those that are hitting the roadways to travel, be safe, be patient, which is something I probably do not have enough of, <laughs> or at least my wife tells me I don't have enough of. But we want you to arrive safely wherever you're may, you may be going so that you can enjoy the holiday with your family and friends and Speaking of friends of the Sports Rush, we've got the Fighting Irish because they've done a great job with their signing day. One of the best signing day videos introducing this class. If you got a chance, go look it up on YouTube. And to give us all the breakdown of that signing class, plus bowl prep and the hiring of the new offensive coordinator, we have the one and only judge. Mr. Phil Halk from the Fighting Irish Preview. Judge, Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming on today. Merry Christmas, Shannon. Great to talk to you. And can I go back for just one, maybe five seconds to something you guys talked about in the first segment? Sure can. Okay. I just want you to know that I have the greatest golden doodle in the world and i want to know i want to know where i pick up my 1.5 million dollars <laughs> that's what i keep telling mine because mine goes to work with my wife because my wife deals with kids and and speech therapy and autistic kids and she uses our doodle to you know calm the kids down and be a you know somewhat of a distraction and i ask her all the time did we bill insurance <laughs> for the time my doodle's in there slaving and working for you. It's a, it's a great breed. It really is. It sure is. And I you love and it. I both know it. Yeah. Well, I tell her, I said, look, I've got a judge on my side. I can just, <laughs> we'll, we'll get right through this. I'll call up Judge uh, Hauk, and we'll take care of all this. Don't worry about the insurance companies. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I, I, have, I could have make some further comments. Right. Maybe we should just move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I better uh, just do... Uh, Stick to the sports stuff and let the the law be handled by the pros. There you go. Listen to my wife not get me in trouble. Well, you got to say, this uh, recruiting class that Coach Freeman put together, I think they were ranked as high as ninth overall. And they did an awesome job with their uh, publishing of their recruits. And it was an awesome video um, those that didn't see it, go to YouTube. They did a great job announcing who they got. But what were your overall thoughts on this recruiting class? Well, the article I wrote yesterday led off with the fact that there was no drama attached to this class. If you remember last year, there was all kinds of drama with flips and decommits and everything else, which is kind of normal in the uh, in the college football world these days. But that was the first thing that... Uh, that Marcus Freeman said yesterday in his press or Wednesday in his press conference about this class was that he, he appreciated the fact that the class stayed together. They were very united throughout the process. They want to be at Notre Dame. And that, I think that reflects probably uh, maybe some adjustment in the recruiting process for Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman. He's 
starting to figure that out or figure that out better, dial it in better as to how you uh, accomplish that in this day and age when that is so difficult in the crazy world of college football. But uh, yeah, ninth ninth ranked on twenty four seven sports. That's the that's the uh, the service that I like to follow the most anyway. And they had him at ninth. Uh, he stacked a couple of top ten classes in a, a row in uh, together. That's good, you know. Notre Dame tradition, you know, it's one thing to get a top nine class and you go, well, that means you're only good at nine best in the country. But when you consistently have top ten classes, you're bringing in talent consistently, and you know how to work the transfer portal, uh, you got a shot. Your Notre Dame, is, at least talent-wise, should be knocking on the door of the elite. Uh, that's that's what the hope is, even though they're nine and three right now, which is a good season, but not a great season. Well, they're going to benefit by the expansion of the college football playoff going to 12 teams. And there's always going to be uh, controversy no matter how many teams you have in it. Uh, Now, they got another big transfer quarterback, again, from the ACC, and this time from Duke. So, you know, uh, again, he's recruiting smart quarterbacks that have played the game and know how to play that position I'm talking about Riley Leonard from Duke, who also came uh, to the Irish and committed uh, to uh, Coach Freeman. But here's one thing that I've been thinking about with all this NIL and transfer portal, especially at the quarterback position. Do you think in some respects they're neglecting the development of younger kids in the program, like at the quarterback spot? by bringing in transfers ahead of these guys uh, to a place like Notre Dame? Of course. Of course they are. And you know, as a coach, football coach, you know that as well as anybody, that when you keep bringing new guys on and there's not that normal progression up the, uh, you know, uh, yes. each year moving up the depth chart, which happens, all other things equal, uh, they, they do ignore. But are you going to compete? Are you going to compete for national titles? Uh yeah, Notre Dame wants to do that, and just about everybody else agrees with that. That's the game today. Now, in Notre Dame's specific situation, Shannon, uh, I I really think, and, and Marcus Freeman touched on this in this press conference, this should be, with where they're at, going to be at in their quarterback room, should be the last year they need to do this or want to do this. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to transfer out. But if guys stay... C.J. Carr, you know, you'd like to see him develop for a year. Maybe he's the guy and he'd be ready as a sophomore. Notre Dame wouldn't have to need to bring in a, a top-tier guy next year. Uh, they also have, uh, and I can't think of his name, but his first name is Deuce, coming in in two years. Yes. He's supposed to be an outstanding player. He's committed for the class of 2025. And so, you know, if you've got that pipeline going and you don't lose too many of the guys, the Steve Angelis, the Kenny Minchies, who are, uh, on the Notre Dame team right now, if you can retain one or two of those guys, and moving forward, hopefully Notre Dame won't have to bring in a top-flight transfer next year. Well, they got C.J. Carr, and he's a very, very good uh, quarterback. You know, he comes from great lineage. Uh, he's yep. Lloyd Carr's grandson, and he's a really good player. Came uh, uh, played up at Saline, a good, good uh, high school program up there. And I know uh, Coach Freeman spoke highly of him. 
and the fact that they're getting ready for this bowl prep, they're getting a, a, a really good look at him because I think he's actually enrolled in uh, practicing with them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's just another sign that the apocalypse is on us, <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> is that uh, you now have, he's actually able to practice in the bowl preparation. And because Notre Dame's first, uh, first semester is over, uh, he's free to be on campus. He cannot play in the bowl game. Uh, so don't get your hopes up and won't, but he started practicing uh, this past week. Uh, there's video out there of him because there was an open practice to the media this past Tuesday. CJ Carr's on campus. Uh, yeah, there, yeah, there's every reason to believe that he's going to be a really good one. Yes, and, and again, we could sit here and talk about uh, things like the portal, like the NIL and dollars yes, and cents of the matter. <laughs> And one of the things I brought up prior to this segment was talking specifically about players opting out and how that impacts uh, the bowl games in the sense of promotion and things of that magnitude. Um, the one thing I forgot to lay out to Adam was I think now you're gonna I think you're gonna see them find players if they're giving them money to play in you know for the season and you're going to a bowl game. I got to think if they don't have their top players playing, well, you're going to have to pay some of that money back, son, um, because this this opting out has gotten to the point where you look at some of these teams now, they're playing with their second units. Shannon, I, in the show will air tomorrow morning. The, uh, the Fighting Irish preview airs at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, and that is a question, and it's already been recorded. It was recorded late last night, and the, one of the questions I asked Tim Priester is, you know, Sam Hartman got over a million dollars to play for Notre Dame this year. Isn't there a way you can compel him or make sure that he's not going to opt out of the bowl game? Right? Good question, right? Absolutely. And and, and, and and Tim, to his credit, threw it right back on me and said, I'm no lawyer. I don't know how you'd write that contract. <laughs> uh, how about you? And I go, well, I don't know. There probably is a way. I don't understand all the ins and outs of the pay play for play uh, pay for play concept, the NIL, and just yes. what you can and can't do exactly. But I agree with one thing you said. In this crazy world, uh, you did say that in the previous segment. There's got to be some way to get that done and to assure that these players, uh, if they're going to get the NIL money at a high level, they shouldn't be able to, to opt out. They really shouldn't. You no. Know? Uh, and they're, but you got to create an incentive to them to do that because right now the incentive is to opt out. I've got my money. I'm going to the NFL uh, at some level. Uh, some will make it, some won't. But at least I'm going to give it my best chance. And there's nothing for me, nothing gained by playing in the bowl game. And that eh, just doesn't feel right at all. And we all know that. And yeah. we all, as fans, we don't like that. No, and I'm sure that uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, the Fighting Irish preview, you can listen to the judge make his case like we did just there, <laughs> there <you laughs> to keep, keep the best players playing up until the last game of the season because they play Oregon State in a bowl game. I don't even know how they're going to coach that game because that cat went to Michigan State and took half his staff um, in that regard, but... We'll figure that out on the 29th. Last thing here, being reported that Mike Dembra coming back from LSU to be the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. 
I'm a little surprised on one end and not on the other. Uh, working for Brian Kelly is never easy. Um, and that can be a very wavering aspect for a coach in terms of his, yeah. de- you know, demands that he places on his coaches. Uh, but at the same time, Notre Dame just has that calling uh, that they're going to get with that offensive coordinator position yeah. with Coach Denbrock. Yeah, a couple of things. And if you're a Notre Dame fan, and, and I, I assume that most folks listening to this segment are, Carmen can, karma can be a really beautiful thing, can it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Denbrock uh, is a Notre Dame guy. He's been there twice before. He liked being there. Everything uh, about him is more of a Midwest guy. He, he hails from the state of Michigan. I, I, I'm certain, I'm confident he was more comfortable in the Midwest setting than he has been down in Louisiana. And uh, not to mention the fact that he knows Marcus Freeman. He coached with Freeman for uh, three years, I think it would have been, at Cincinnati mm-hmm. uh, when he was the OC there. And uh, Marcus Freeman was the defensive coordinator. So he got to know him well. Uh, he knows the culture here at Notre Dame. And, uh, it, you know, it's interesting that in 2016, even though they kept good relations and there was some, some pretty good reasons why this happened, Brian Kelly fired Mike Denbrock yep. from the Notre Dame staff. He sure did. And and that was after the 2016 disaster season for Notre Dame. They were 4-8. They, he cleaned the house. They made a lot of changes that year. And uh, Denbrock obviously landed on his feet, and he's gone on to, to do extremely well. Uh, but, you know, why, why wouldn't this whole coaching carousel uh, get crazier than it ever has been with, with all the NI. I mean, that's college football. Just adds to it. <laughs> it, 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 it's the college football world today, but as I was saying, telling somebody earlier today, man, I, I, I can't help it. I still love the game, and that's the bottom line. So, Absolutely. Bring it on, baby. Yeah. Uh, well, I know Coach Denbrock. He's a good man, and he coached a Heisman Trophy winner down at LSU, so he's added that to his resume. Uh, Judge, thanks for joining us here today. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Same to you and to yours. And uh, it's always great talking to you, Coach. Absolutely. The Judge, Phil Houck, with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish Preview. We'll catch that tomorrow morning. We're going to step aside after the break. We're going to talk to Jeremiah Johnson from the Indianapolis Pacers right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Finishing up here on a Friday right before the holiday weekend with Christmas being two days away. I hope everybody has made all their shopping choices and are driving safely to wherever they may be going. But we need to talk some Indiana Pacers. Last night, they lost to Memphis 116-103, having coming off a win at home against the Charlotte Hornets where they really manhandled the Charlotte, man. They beat them 144 to 113. Uh, Pacers will take on the Magic at home, I believe, on the 23rd, and then they hit the road on the 26th, the day after Christmas, to take on Houston. I tell you, that's a pretty rough schedule right there, my man. But uh, joining us now on the guest line is Pacers TV host, sideline reporter, see him on Valley Sports, Mr. Jeremiah Johnson. JJ, welcome to the show, my man. Coach, good to, good to be on with you. We we start off by saying happy holidays to everyone in the Fort Wayne area. Absolutely, we right back at you, my friend. And 
just for transparent transparency, JJ was in my quarterback room at one time at Ball State University, and it's great to see where you've where what you're getting to do because I know it's a passion of yours and and you do such a great job, JJ. But uh, happy holidays to you as well, my friend. Let's talk some Pacers here. Tough one last night, uh, but Toppin had 22. Halliburton, I think, had 17 for the Pacers, but it just wasn't quite enough. John Karchar got a couple big blocks, and he's a Purdue-Fort Wayne beloved former player up here. But kind of give us a breakdown of last night's game and kind of you know what what led to this defeat more more than likely. Yeah, if you hadn't been paying attention and you just looked at Memphis's record, you would say that's a disappointing loss for the Pacers. But the circumstances were a little bit of bad luck for Indiana, considering John Moran had been suspended for 25 games. And then his first home game back from suspension just happens to be against the Pacers. He came back on, I think it was Tuesday at New Orleans and had the game-winning shot at the buzzer and then followed that up with really a hyped atmosphere. The crowd at the FedEx Forum had been waiting for a few weeks for that one. It was the best crowd they'd had all season. And Memphis had only won one home game all season, but they are a completely different team when they have John Morant. And they still have some other injuries to deal with, and they have a little bit of a hole to get out of considering their poor start. But when they have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Desmond Bain, they have a big three that is capable of really competing with anyone. And so um, it was a little bit of a bad break for the Pacers. They were down 23 in the second quarter and made a run to trail by just two at halftime. And so that sometimes you see that in the NBA. You can flip the channel or, or look away, and all of a sudden it's a different game. And so I thought at halftime they were in a really good spot back and forth a little bit in the third quarter, but Memphis went on a run late third quarter and got up 15 or so points early in the fourth, and the Pacers couldn't overcome that. But uh, it had been a rough post-in-season tournament stretch for the Pacers. That road trip was not kind to them last week. But I thought the way they played, obviously in the win against the Hornets, but the way they really played the intensity they brought to the court at Memphis, that was the kind of performance, though, that if you play that way again tomorrow, you should be able to beat Orlando and go into this little two-day break with a with a good feeling about yourself. Yeah, last night, uh, Bain had 31, and Jackson had 21, and I think Morant had 20. So, you know, they had a three-man three, three man wrecking crew, I guess you could say, last night for the Pacers. Uh, let's talk about the tourney that the NBA put on. I know the Pacers lost in that final championship game to the Lakers 123-109. Do you think that was a success or in some respects a failure for the NBA? Well, for the NBA, I do think it was a success because it got people paying attention and, and talking about the league and not just talking about who will be traded or who wants out of their current team in November and December. And so it's tough in those months to get the attention of a country that, that loves football. But I, you know, I, I at least pay attention to what those around the country were saying. And for about a week straight, because the Pacers were in the middle of that in-season tournament knockout round and then made it to Las Vegas for the semifinals and finals, I probably saw and heard and read more articles about the Pacers on a national level in that week than I had in probably the last five years. And so I know people were paying attention. It was getting a lot of, um, interest around the country and maybe it helped that lebron james had a team there that that went on to win it but just in terms of 
Um, intensity with the games. I mean, I, each of those in-season tournament games, while it was played on a funky court that not everybody liked all of the designs and the color combinations, each of the games that I saw with my own eyes, which was all of the games up until Las Vegas, you felt different about those games than you did some of the others in November. And so just for that alone and for the way that most of the players that you talk to in training camp, they weren't sure what to expect. But once they saw a few of those games, and then they start thinking about the prize and really just the experience you could gain. Uh, they were all in. And so I'll give the players a lot of credit, and I think it was a success. They may tweak it a little bit moving forward. But it, to me, there's nothing wrong with having something to look forward to before the end of the season playoffs to have that in the middle of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, you know, the different court designs, I think that was in some respects a marvelous thing because it had that wow factor on tv and how it popped i know some didn't like it you know they thought maybe it was overdone and such but i like that fact that it you know changed that perspective of how the game was displayed on the television and the other thing that you noticed in that and in that and from my perspective jj i thought the players turned it up to like playoff type of basketball and you get some of that intensity uh, when, like you said, you're kind of in the dog days of November and December, but they turned up the, the intensity in those games as if it was the playoffs. They absolutely did. I mean, when you were there, you felt it. When a team lost, it wasn't just, okay, all shucks, we'll get, we'll get another opportunity the next night or the, the night after that. If a team lost, they were really disappointed. And then I'll just end with, the thought on that game against the Celtics that was in the knockout round where whoever won got to go to Las Vegas and also you guaranteed yourself at least another $50,000 by doing so. And you'd think that might not matter to some of these guys, but at least half of the roster, that mattered a lot to them. <laughs> so that atmosphere for that game against the Celtics, I've seen these playoff games at Cambridge Fieldhouse. It's a great environment. It rivaled many of the ones that we had seen now. Not quite like a game six or a game seven or those, some of those games against LeBron James's Heat teams or even, uh, when the Pacers were able to play LeBron's Cavs teams. But it was very close to that. And I think that got fans excited. Now they're a little disappointed now. The last couple of weeks, there's been a little bit of a letdown, but it's also been a letdown for the Lakers. So when you said success or failure, I say it's definitely a success, but it's a challenge to come down from that high that both the Pacers and the Lakers had with all that attention, all that success, it's tough. If you think about um, in football, if you go win a playoff game or you make your run, then you don't just play another game. And in all these other sports, you don't have a playoff situation like that. We do see in college basketball, if a team makes a good run in Maui or in Alaska, sometimes the game after that, they come back to earth a little bit and it's tough to recapture that magic. So um, the Pacers will have to try to get back to the way they were, but the experiences they gained for a young team, I think, were invaluable. JJ, this is Adam here with Shannon. Just have a question for you. Um, seen a little minor decline here in scoring from Tyrese Halliburton, and I saw he spoke to media. Uh, he's been seeing more blitzes and increased attention on the defensive side when he's had the ball, saying, uh, I've never been blitzed like this. It's new for me. Is this something that's a potential problem for the Pacers, or is this something that Tyrese can work to overcome to improve his game even further? I think that he's seen it at times maybe in the third or fourth quarter if he has the hot hand. What he's not seen is from the opening tip. Guys getting him at half court 
sending two defenders and trying to get the ball out of his hands. So what we've seen at times, there's been even some uh, two-point guard rotations where maybe he's off the ball to start with, and T.J. McConnell or Andrew Nemhard, even though he had been injured, maybe maybe they'd bring the ball up the court. That prevents some of the early blitzing that you speak of. And I, I don't know that it's necessarily a problem, but it does put some of the pressure and responsibility on his teammates because he's not going to be the kind of player that will force things. So if he's double teamed quickly, he's going to move that ball around and he's going to he's going to make try to make the defense pay for getting out of position, for sending a second defender. Now, if the shots aren't falling, then it can be problematic and the Pacers have to figure out a way to still deal with that. If they are knocking down their threes, that's where sometimes if you look at the end of the game, if the Pacers win or lose, especially with the way they're defending Tyrese Halliburton, just look at the three-point percentage because they're going to get a number of looks. Last night they set a franchise record with 52 attempts. Probably a few more than Rick Carlisle would like, but if they're <laughs> catching shoot opportunities and guys are open, they want them to take those shots. Then it's going to be up to them to knock them down. It's just a little bit of a yin and the yang. You've got to take what the defense gives you. So I don't know that's necessarily a problem, but it is an adjustment that the Pacers are going to have to work on, they're going to deal with, and it's not going to change. Harry Halliburton got a lot of attention during the in-season tournament. People saw what he was able to do, and so they just as soon have someone else on the Pacers beat them instead of Tyrese. Absolutely, and he is a phenomenal player. You know, right now, Pacers are hovering right around that 500 mark, right around eighth placed in the East. You know, looking at your crystal ball, here's a team right now that's 12-9 and nine in conference play, 6-2 to two, six and two in the division, I believe. What is this Pacers team capable of, do you think? I mean, is this a team that's going to raise their game to that next level? And are they, you know, who is also going to have to write, you know, raise up their play to be that complement to Halliburton? Yeah, uh, it will depend if they make any moves. I think the team was probably willing to wait until January to see what they had and whether this was the kind of team they wanted to make a move at the deadline or perhaps wait until the offseason to tweak the roster or the front office would acknowledge that it's not a finished product right now. They don't have the kind of group that, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, is expecting to win a championship this season. But there is a real goal that the Pacers want to be in the playoffs. Now, that's a little bit different now than it used to be. You could get in through the play-in tournament. I think there's an internal feeling, goal, hope to be in that top six so you don't even have to mess with the play-in tournament that you could lock yourself in to that postseason experience. They're not as good as they showed maybe, you know, top two in the league during the in-season tournament to play in that championship. But they're also better than they've been in the last week or so when they've had some travel issues and just a variety of challenges to deal with after the in-season tournament. So um, you know that Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, they're, I think, clearly the three best teams in the East. But then after that, teams like the Knicks, the Cavs, the Heat, I'll put the Pacers and Magic in that mix. Those are five teams just off the top of my head that should be competing for the next three or four spots. Now, right now, you said it right. The Pacers are eight, and they've got a challenging schedule coming up. So health will always be a key in the NBA. If the Pacers could stay healthy, uh, get healthy, because they've been a little injured the last few weeks, if they can get healthy and then navigate the road trips that are coming up in January, February, and March, I think they can be one of those top six teams. And and, an individual player that I would look to 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 try to help Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner has has really been a better offensive player the last two seasons when having Tyrese Halliburton to play alongside. So he needs to continue to take advantage of the opportunities and looks that Tyrese gives him. And the player that 
Um, it's been a little up and down this season, but if he gets open looks, I still trust him. It's Buddy Heald. If he's hitting his three-point shots, everything else opens for the Pacers offensively. And, again, offense isn't the problem. They're still the top-ranked offense in the league. I would say everyone needs to step up defensively more than be concerned about who's, who's the next best scoring option offensively. Well, I have to agree with that assessment, my man. You covered it well. Defense is what's going <laughs> to help you win championships, whether it's football or basketball. There's no question that you got to pick it up on the defensive end. JJ, have a great holiday break here. I, although very short probably for you, but, uh, safe travels, my friend, and a Merry Christmas. Yeah, not much of a break, but looking forward to a home game tomorrow, day and a half off, and then Christmas night we'll be flying down to Houston. But um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, and I appreciate all the fans tuning in. I appreciate you having me on. Not absolutely. That's Jeremiah Johnson, the Pacers TV host and sideline reporter on Valley Sports. We're going to step aside. We're going to wrap things up here right after these messages on the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Remember tonight, Parkview Sports Medicine attorney up at Trine. Girls basketball, 8 o'clock tip. Northrop versus Elkhart, followed by the boys game. Michigan City versus Northside up at Trine. 9.30 tip for that. An estimate tip, I guess you could say, in that regard. we got Mac and our very good friend Eric Dukevich on the call. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that later tonight. And like you said, uh, the second game will kind of be time-depending, but Mm -hmm. uh, should be around 9.30 for that boys' match between Michigan City and the Northside Legends. And then tomorrow, obviously, we'll have uh, Talking Sports with Jim Shovlin at 9. And then after that, we've got Fight and Irish Preview with Judge Phil Houck and uh, Tim Priester, who we heard Judge Phil Houck join us earlier in this hour. So a lot of fun today. Well, then you follow that up by two big NFL games, the Bengals and Steelers, Bills and Chargers, college bowl games coming up. We got the Christmas holiday rocking and rolling with some Christmas football as well. Thanks to all the guests here today. Sam King from the Lafayette Journal and Courier, Shane Alberani from the Comets, the Judge, Phil Houck, and last but not least, Jeremiah Johnson from the Indianapolis Pacers. Brett Rump will be back here in the chair on January 2nd as the Sports Rest takes a holiday break. Wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. For producer Adam Lundy, I am the coach Shannon Griffith. Have a safe holiday season, and this has been the Sports Rush.